Our second reading this morning is from Romans chapter 5. I will read verses 12 through 21. Hear the word of God. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all people because all sinned, For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin was not counted where there was no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the, great, by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if, because of one man's trespass, death, entered, death reigned through that one man much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners... So by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abound all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So all of us have fundamental presuppositions. All of us have basic prejudices. Things that we believe without ever really thinking about them. Often we only notice these fundamental presuppositions, these basic prejudices, when we meet someone who doesn't share our views. When I was in my 20s, I traveled to Morocco in North Africa with Sam Wood's younger brother, Joe. And when we were there, I got the idea that I wanted to buy a a jalaba, which is this full-length kind of robe that all of the men there wear. And so Joe and I went into a shop that uh, sold these jalabas, and we looked around. And as far as I could tell, they all had the same cut. And so all you had to decide on was what color you wanted. And the ones that we were looking at there in Morocco looked pretty similar. They all had vertical stripes, and it was either gray or brown and black and white. Not a, no color options really, except those four. So I picked out the one that I thought was the nicest, and I went to pay the shopkeeper, and he makes this sour face at me like I had done something really embarrassing. I didn't know any Arabic, he didn't know any English, 
But we have this conversation using some kind of sign language, and it became clear to me that he thought that the robe that I picked was too flashy, too too loud. He kept looking at it, you know, and covering his eyes like he was being blinded by this by this garment. So, not wanting to be the ugly American, I respected his advice, and I didn't buy the one that I had chosen. I bought another one that he had suggested. But I need to assure you, my dear North American friends, that the robe that I chose was as plain as plain could be. It was plain enough for a Amish preacher. I mean, if the Amish preacher were a Muslim, if you know what I mean. The Moroccan shopkeeper and I had fundamentally different ideas about what was tasteful in men's clothing. And it's only in these kind of cross-cultural encounters that we discover what our fundamental ideas are. Part of becoming an educated, cultured person involves exposing ourselves to other ideas, to other ways of seeing the world, so that we become self-aware and self-critical about our fundamental presuppositions and our basic prejudices. One fundamental presupposition that people have, and one that there is wide disagreement about, is whether... People are naturally good or naturally sinful. There was a French political philosopher named Jean-Jacques Rousseau who lived in the 18th century around the time of the American Revolution. And he argued that children were born naturally good and that they only became bad because of bad parenting, bad education, and bad social institutions. For Rousseau, the goal of his philosophy was to improve our educational system and our social structures so that people would continue to be good the way they had been born. The biblical view, on the other hand, holds that we are all born with a sinful nature. And the purpose of parenting and education and social social institutions is to curb our inborn sinful nature so that we can become good people and live in a good society. Okay, so Rousseau assumes that we're good and are sometimes made bad. And the Bible teaches that we start bad and are sometimes made good. Two radically different views. In our Old Testament reading... From Genesis this morning, we have the account of the beginning of human sin. And then in our New Testament reading, Paul uses the Genesis account to explain why we live in a world where there is so much sin and how it is that Jesus is an answer to this problem. Our readings this morning are foundational texts for the Christian doctrine of original sin. This doctrine, which was first mentioned by Irenaeus, the bishop of Lyon in the 2nd century, and more fully explained by St. Augustine, the bishop of Hippo in the 4th century, teaches that the sin of Adam is inherited by every single human being who comes after him. And thus, every human is born guilty of original sin. 
And further, this doctrine teaches that the inherited original sin of Adam so wounds and weakens our character, our will, our rational faculties that all of us continue to sin. This is a doctrine that is held both by the Roman Catholic Church and by Protestants. The Lutheran Augsburg Confession explains it this way. It is also taught among us that since the fall of Adam, all men who are born according to the course of nature are conceived and born in sin. That is, all men are full of evil lusts, inclinations from their mother's womb, and are unable by nature to have a true fear of God and a true faith in God. John Calvin, in his Institutes of the Christian Religion, explains it this way. Original sin, therefore, seems to be a hereditary depravity and corruption of our nature, diffused into all parts of the soul, which first makes us liable to God's wrath, and then also brings forth in us those works that the Scripture calls works of the flesh. The doctrine of original sin is a way to explain what it is that our eyes see, that all people do sin. If God is good and his creation was good, how do we explain what we see around us, people doing things that are selfish and hurtful and wrong? The doctrine of original sin is a theological explanation of what we all see with our eyes. Cornelius Plantinga, who graduated from Princeton Seminary with his Ph.D. and served for many years as the president of Calvin Theological Seminary, wrote a fascinating book that I recommend to all of you. It's called, Not the Way It's Supposed to Be, a Breviary of Sin. Uh, this book is a kind of catalog of sins, and it's a meditation on all of the ways that we can go wrong. Plantinga takes the title of this book from the 1991 movie Grand Canyon starring Danny Glover and Kevin Kline. In the opening sequence... Did anybody see that movie? I saw it. Long, 1991. Some of you weren't even born in 1991. In the opening sequence of that movie... An immigration lawyer, played by Kevin Klein, finds himself at the mercy of a gang of toughs when his car breaks down in the wrong part of Los Angeles. And just in the nick of time, a tow truck driver, played by Danny Glover, arrives on the scene and manages to talk the gang out of doing any harm. Addressing the leader of the gang, who has a, a gun in his waistband, the tow truck driver says this, Man, the world ain't supposed to work like this. Maybe you don't know that, but this ain't the way it's supposed to be. I'm supposed to be able to do my job without asking you if I can do it. And that dude is supposed to be able to wait with his car without you ripping him off. Everything's supposed to be different than what it is here. That is the human predicament. We look around us, we read the news, and we think, this ain't the way it's supposed to be. When we see people treated unfairly, when we see innocent people hurt, when we see greed and selfishness spoil everything that they touch, we think, this ain't the way it's supposed to be. 
The prophets we read in the Bible knew that sin has a thousand distorted faces and they dreamed of a time when God would put things right. Plantinga writes about the prophets, quote, They dreamed of a new age in which human crookedness would be straightened out, rough places made plain, the foolish would be made wise and the wise humble. They dreamed of a time when the deserts would flower, the mountains would run with wine, weeping would cease, and people could go to sleep without weapons in their laps. People could work in peace and work to fruitful effect. Lambs could lie down with lions. All nature would be fruitful, benign, and filled with wonder upon wonder. All humans would be knit together in brotherhood and sisterhood. And all nature and all humans would look to God, walk with God, lean toward God, and delight in God. What the prophets dreamed of is shalom. A word that we think of as meaning peace. But its meaning is broader than that in scripture. According to Plantinga, shalom means, quote, universal flourishing, wholeness, delight, A rich state of affairs in which natural needs are satisfied and natural gifts are fully employed. A state of affairs that inspires joyful wonder as its creator and savior opens doors and welcomes the creatures in whom he delights. Shalom, in other words, is the way things ought to be. Shalom is paradise. It's the world that we lost in the Garden of Eden. It's the world that we look forward to in the kingdom of God. Shalom is paradise and in our hearts we long for it. Though we've never seen it. Ecclesiastes 3.11 tells us that God has set eternity into the human heart. Hebrews 11.16 talks about the saints of old and says that they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Somehow, deep down, we know how things should be. But then we look around us and we see that things aren't the way they're supposed to be. That's the human predicament. Jean-Jacques Rousseau says that bad parenting and bad education and bad social institutions have taken good children and turned them into bad adults. And if we just improve those institutions, then shalom will reign and paradise will be realized on earth. The Bible, however, thinks that the problem is deeper. The Bible says that no amount of social engineering will save us. The Bible says that only Jesus can rescue us and what we need to be rescued from is ourselves. Only Jesus can rescue us from our inborn sinful nature. I think that every child at some point says to their parents something like, I didn't ask to be born into this family. Anybody say that ever? I did. You usually say it when you've been asked to clean your room or to take out the trash. Taking orders from a parent that you did not elect is a little like 
taxation without representation. It feels like tyranny. It's un-American. It offends our sense of justice and fairness. I did not choose to be in this family. I think that's how a lot of us feel about this doctrine of original sin. This biblical idea that because of the sin of this distant ancestor Adam, every single person is born with a sinful nature, whether they like it or not. And yet, when we look around us, that's exactly what we see. None of us is sin-free. None of us is blameless. None of us ever woke up one day and said to themselves, You know, I'm done with being good. I'm done with always doing things the right way. From now on, I'm going to be greedy and self-serving and boastful and hateful and violent. From now on, I'm going to lie, cheat, and steal. No one chooses to be a sinner. We're simply born that way. That's how we were made. Because of original sin. That's the human predicament. Paul explains it this way in... Romans chapter 5, sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin. And so, death spread to all people because all sinned. Many died through one man's trespass. The judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. Because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man. One trespass led to the condemnation for all men. By the one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. That's the unfair bad news of original sin. And if that doesn't seem fair because you didn't ask to be born into Adam's family then let me give you the other side of the story. You may have noticed that what I read just now were just half sentences, partial verses from our reading from Romans chapter 5. I only read the bad news half of the story. But to each piece of bad news, each announcement that from Adam we inherit this curse, Paul offers the countervailing good news that in Jesus Christ sin and death are replaced with righteousness and victory. Let me read you the rest of the story. Adam was a type of the one Jesus to come. The free gift is not like the trespass. Much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus, abounded to many. The free gift following many trespasses brought justification. Those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness will reign in life through one man, Jesus Christ. One act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. By the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Through one man... Adam, sin and death, enters into and infects the world. But through one man, Jesus Christ, righteousness and life are offered as free gifts to everyone who will hear and believe. And so, while we have no choice about being born into the family of Adam, we do, praise God, have a choice about being reborn into the family of Jesus. You and I were born into sin and death. We didn't have any choice in that. It just happened to us. But you and I can be reborn into holiness and eternal life through faith in Jesus Christ. And there we do have a choice. 
That's the good news. Last week, I was in Memphis, Tennessee, attending the General Assembly of the Evangelical Presbyterian Church. That's the annual convention and business meeting of our denomination. This was the third General Assembly I've attended. Elder Tom Daniels and his wife Adrian were also there. And once again, I've been very pleased by General Assembly and I feel confirmed in our decision to find a new home in the EPC. The business meetings were peaceable, orderly, collegial. The breakout sessions were helpful and hopeful and forward-looking. The worship services were spirit-filled, Bible-based, and a lot of fun. And the people and pastors and elders coming from all over the country were encouraging and interesting. This year's meeting was held in the 7,000-plus member Hope Church. Their building looks like a convention center. It looks like a medium-sized airport. Our entire campus could fit inside of their sanctuary. Hope Church is the largest church in Memphis, Tennessee. In fact, it's the largest Presbyterian church in the United States, and I mean Presbyterian of any stripe, PCUSA, PCA, OPC, RPC, EPC, the largest Presbyterian congregation in the United States. And that church, a mixed-race church, is led by an African-American, senior pastor Rufus Smith, which is particularly interesting because Tennessee is a southern state, and Memphis in particular has a long dark history of racial strife. It is, after all, in Memphis that Martin Luther King was gunned down, having gone there to be involved in the sanitation workers' strike. Last Tuesday was Juneteenth. Juneteenth is the holiday marking the final emancipation of slaves in the United States. It's a kind of second independence day for us. It was on June 19th, 1865, that U.S. Army General Gordon Granger read what was called General Order Number 3 from the balcony of his headquarters in Galveston, Texas. And that said, I quote, The people of Texas are informed that, in accordance with a proclamation from the executive of the United States, all slaves are free. This involves an immediate, uh, this involves an absolute equality of personal rights and rights of property between former masters and slaves, end quote. Most of us are familiar with the Emancipation Proclamation, which was made nearly three years earlier, in September 1862, but the Emancipation Proclamation only applied to areas in active rebellion, and Texas was not in the war with the Union. And so it didn't apply there, even though a quarter million slaves lived in Texas. It was this June 19th, 1865 proclamation which freed the last American slaves. And so we celebrate Juneteenth, our second Independence Day, to mark that blessed day of deliverance from evil. This past week, on Juneteenth, the General Assembly delegates loaded into buses and they visited the National Civil Rights Museum in Memphis. This 
museum is uh, situated in the Lorraine Hotel where Martin Luther King was gunned down while standing on the balcony outside of his room. The museum is a testimony to the fact that we live in a world filled with sin, where people do horrible things to other people. This museum is a testimony to the fact that things aren't the way they're supposed to be. Now, that museum didn't say anything about Adam or original sin, but it did pay tribute to a certain Baptist preacher who, like the prophets of old, had a dream of a better day, a day in which the captives are set free, a day in which peace, shalom, reigns throughout the land. As Christians, we continue to look forward to that day. As Christians, we continue to work for that day. Knowing that while sin and death came into this world through the sin of Adam, that life and restoration and peace and brotherhood are offered to the world through Jesus Christ. May we take him up on that offer. Amen. Let us pray. Father God, we bless your name this day and we thank you for the gathering of saints here in this room. We thank you for the opportunity to worship you, to study your word, to sing your praises, to present our prayers and petitions to you. We pray that you continue to pour out your blessings on us, fill us with your Holy Spirit, and be with us as we worship you this day. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.